Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. And today I'm welcoming Kat Rucker onto the podcast. Kat is a personal finance blogger with a really cool backstory, which we talk about today. Specifically, we get into some details on how she entered the corporate world and then quickly exited the corporate world and how she found herself traveling the world, settling in Cambodia, taking advantage of something called geographic arbitrage. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And without any further ado, I give you Kat Rucker on episode 12 of the Best Interest Podcast. And I'm here with Kat Rucker of the Cash for Cat blog and Rucker Sales Consulting. Kat, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it's it's 10 a.m. here, Kat, on a Saturday morning, but I've got to ask you, when and where are you right now? So I'm on the other side of the globe. Um, not too surprising. I've been traveling for a while now. And so I'm actually based out of Cambodia and it's about 9 p.m. here. So we are hello from the future. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. And we will be sure to come back to, to how you ended up in Cambodia. Um, obviously, that's a, a big topic and a really cool topic, I think. But before we get there, I was hoping we could start because I, I read your blog and I think your your college and post-college journey sounded really interesting. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, I was hoping you could maybe start there, kind of how you ended up going to the school that you went to, how you felt once leaving school and entered the corporate world and, and kind of what path you took there. Yeah. So even even the story of getting to college was a little bit unique, I would say. Um, So my parents were actually business owners when I was growing up. I think I got a lot of my entrepreneurial skills from my dad. And they had this really cute family ice cream store. Um, So I was always participating in that as a child. But as I got older, um, my parents actually ended up going through a divorce, which for me, obviously has a lot of different feelings. um, But ultimately, I decided to graduate from high school two years early. So when I started off college, I actually started off at a city college, but I decided I didn't want to go to my local city college. And I actually moved from Sacramento, California, where I grew up, um, down to Santa Barbara City College for, you know, my first two, three years of schooling. Um, And so that's really, (laughs) that's how the start of the college journey happened. Um, From there, I transferred over to Berkeley on an athletic um, walk-on for the school. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I can relate a little bit to the athletic walk-on story. And what, what sport did you play? Track and field. Cool. What were your event or events? Oh, should I make you guess? Uh, ooh, maybe. Yeah. Um, see, I'm not a big track and field person, but I know there's long distance running, short distance running, but I'm going to go kind of off the beaten path and say one of the, one of the athlons, were you an athlete? Triathlon? Oh, I, or wish. I wish I had gotten into that. <laughs> and I appreciate that because wow, they're true athletes <laughs> doing all the things, throwing things, yeah, running, yeah. Things, everything. <laughs> 
No, actually, um, I was a high jumper. And okay. I guess you can't tell since it's a podcast, but um, right. I'm about six feet tall. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see. I see. That's it. Right. The, the height doesn't come through the, the Zoom very well. <laughs> um, so you ended up at Berkeley. And can I ask just what, what, what were you studying at Berkeley? Um, my degrees in rhetoric, actually, which is, I found out, not a common thing that universities um, carry or have. Right. Um, so I guess to break it down for people, it's um, kind of like an English degree, very much um, focused on persuasion. A lot of people tend to go into legal professions afterwards, but as a liberal arts degree, you can just do really anything with it. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think I have heard of that as a major before, but I've heard of it as part of kind of, um, just like you said, kind of philosophy, spoken word, dealing with literature. Um, so it makes sense that it would be kind of in the pre-law path or could be in the pre-law path if you want it to be. But once you left Berkeley, and if I'm getting my story straight, you kind of started to dip your toe into the corporate world. And what, what did you find out and how did your path end up leading you to, to where you are now? Yeah, so, you know, obviously being in the Bay Area, I knew that my my best direction would be to work in the startup world. And so that's what I did um, directly after university. And I found myself really drawn towards startups that have this human focused um, messaging. Um, so I guess, you know, really tackling social causes and doing good. And so I worked at two different startups out of university and I just kind of had this moment in life where I was just tired of everything, I suppose is the best way I can describe it. You know, just wasn't where I wanted to be. I felt stagnant. I think after college, you're, you don't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. You flounder a bit because you know, your whole life, you've been focusing on the end game of getting the degree and then you get out into reality and you're like, is this it? (laughs) Um, So, you know, I just kind of had that moment where after two years of working, I was like, well, (laughs) and I decided to quit everything and sell all my stuff um, one spontaneous Thursday. And a month later, I was in Barcelona traveling the globe. (laughs) Wow. Well, (laughs) we're definitely going to come back and talk more about that. But on the idea of post-college floundering, like you said, and completely relate to that. And I'm not sure if you felt this too, or if this is a universal feeling, but growing up in the American education system, I was certainly used to 10 months on, two months off, or maybe it's nine months on, three months off. And at the end of each nine month sprint, you level up and it's just one after the other. And it's very, um, it's laid out before you in a very organized way. And you know what's next, you know what to expect. You get the feeling of accomplishment at the end of each school year. And it worked that way for me all the way up through age 22. But then out in the quote unquote real world, the projects never end. The work never stops. There's no defined end. There's no break once you reach that end. And I know that's been a struggle for me now for the last decade of really trying to wrap my head around that and figure out a way to to find uh, the same sense of accomplishment when there's really no defined end. Mm, Yeah, that's very true. I think particularly with startups, you have constantly shifting goals. Um, So it's really hard to, you know, see clear cut 
career milestones or even necessarily know in the moment when you've done something that's successful, particularly in the line of work um, that I was doing, which is sales. And so, you know, with sales, there's typically more of an entry level, um, they call it sales development representative SDR role, um, where you're bringing on board potential people who are interested in the business um, and introducing them to that. But it's very much a job where they basically take fresh college grads and toss them on the phones with CEOs and hope for the best. And you just have no idea what's going on. (laughs) That is something I can relate to from my first job. Would, would, Would you say, Kat, that you've suffered maybe from some imposter syndrome? Oh, definitely. Um, I think even going to Berkeley, you suffer from a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, and it was really funny, you know, even in schooling, I would meet all these people doing amazing things, TED Talks and, and all of that. And they felt like they didn't know or understand how they had gotten into Berkeley, like valedictorians, all walks of life. And then you throw them into the San Francisco work culture and it just magnifies because now you have all these amazing people who have flown into San Francisco for work from like Harvard, or maybe they have amazing companies like Google, Uber, Lyft, you know, on their resumes. And it creates definitely a very um, interesting work culture. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. And I think the older I get and the more people I work with, the more I believe that lots and lots of people are suffering from imposter syndrome. And there's this great quote that I hear Seth Godin say from time to time on his podcast, which is nobody knows anything. And it came from Hollywood where I think some Hollywood producer brought some movie to, to some, some people with money and the people with money said, there's no way that movie's ever going to be successful. And it ended up being something like home alone, some wildly successful movie. And the idea is that, even people with lots of experience oftentimes don't have complete knowledge. No, nobody knows anything. You know, there's, there's always gaps in knowledge. And uh, as a young person entering the workforce, sometimes you don't know that. And you assume that these people who have been there for five or 10 years, they do know everything. And, and really, they, they don't. They don't. So we're all kind of learning as we go. Oh, very much so. I think I think that's a huge part of imposter syndrome is, you know, you've gotten to a level that you didn't expect to be at probably. And you're just really struggling to understand, I guess, this element of why me, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I don't have all of the answers for, for how to get over imposter syndrome, but I think it's really a bit about figuring out who you are, or at least that's kind of what I encountered because, you know, I just really did have that moment where I felt I wasn't in the right place and, you know, maybe call it intuition. I've definitely had a few, um, you know, gut reactions to things, but I think when you realize where you're at, you're able to better get to where you're going. That is awesome. So let's pull on that thread a little bit. So you were in Barcelona and you had found out some things that at least you didn't want to do, where you had found found yourself in some jobs where you weren't content or didn't feel comfortable. You had just sold all your stuff. Yep. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, And so now, you know, we don't necessarily have to tie it back to personal finance, but I am curious a little bit about kind of maybe some of the some of the money thoughts that went through your mind going through that transition. But it sounds like eventually, Kat, you ha- you have found yourself, or at least you're, you've found some work now, um, and you found a, a place to be doing that where you are excelling. 
just to give you a bit of an overview, I think that would be a great place to start. You know, before I started my travels, I just really realized that, you know, you have to set yourself up for as much success as possible. And I realized that there was never going to be a perfect time to go. I had actually originally planned on doing this big sabbatical when I was 30 and had made lots of money and figured my life out. But then the stars just really aligned and I just had this moment and it was right before the holidays. And I was looking at flights because I was always looking at flights. Um, And I saw that $300 one way and I was like, well, Barcelona sounds real nice right now. Um, So yeah, it was really just a few fast weeks of selling everything in my apartment. Um, Plus everyone in the fire and financial independence community really focuses in on passive income, which is fantastic, but it takes a while sometimes to get that going. Mm -hmm. What I really found a joy in in my early career and, and why I was in sales was the joy of variable income. And so part of how I was able to leave was I sold all of my things, but that's, you know, just a couple hundred dollars. Um, I also had just a a several thousand dollar commission check that was coming my way. Um, So that was something that gave me the confidence to go. Plus, of course, a sweet tax refund. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. I'll do mine hopefully here in the next few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Um, So you ended up in in Barcelona and then did you, did you hop around for those, you know, I know I have some listeners who love travel. Um, did you find yourself in some other places between Barcelona and now Cambodia? Oh, a ton, a ton of places. Um, actually cash for cat was originally meant to be a travel blog, <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but then I realized that I was so focused on experiencing that that wasn't really something that I ended up documenting that well. Um, but personal finance has been a passion of mine for a really, really long time. And so I had actually purchased um, the blog domain before I had even started traveling. And it was, you know, meant to be personal finance slash travel, but focusing on travel first. Um, and then it just never, <laughs> never developed into that. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I started off Barcelona just three weeks there. I went to Malta. Um, Italy just really did the whole Southern and Eastern European uh, tour before heading out to Southeast Asia. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Very Mediterranean on my bucket list to head over there. The mother country, Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I loved Italy. And for some reason I wasn't thinking that I would, I would love it as much as I did. Um, But I made it down to Pompeii, which if you don't know about Pompeii, you really have to look into that. That's probably to this day, one of the most amazing experiences. Cool. Uh, I know of Pompeii because of Mount Vesuvius and the, and the yep. volcano. Is that, is that what you saw there? Is that some of the. Some exactly. Of the- yeah. Cool. You know, it's, it's just crazy. The level of civilization um, that they had back then there was three story buildings, but for those who might not know, um, Pompeii is a city that was destroyed by a volcano eruption sometime really, really long ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But they basically have been able to create an archaeological park around it. Um, And you think, oh, cute little old Italian city. Wrong. This place is bigger than probably the city that I'm currently in of uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. It's massive. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I mean, I've seen pictures and books and pictures online of basically you have these Roman citizens who are going about their day-to-day or in some cases they realized that this pyroclastic flow was coming down the mountain was about to wipe them out 
but you've got people kind of in their homes or you've got this, this functioning city frozen in time by volcanic ash. That's, mm-hmm. that's wild. Really cool that you got to see that. So now, oh, I see, here's a great question, Kat. It, it's Phnom Pen. Is that, that's how it's pronounced? Maybe I'm not the best person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've honestly heard it pronounced so many different ways by both the locals and the expats. Um, but yes, I've even heard people call it Phnom Penh. Um, okay. Yeah, Phnom Penh is the way a lot of the expats say it. So I that's what you. I go with. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a million times more experience with it than me. But so now you're in Phnom Penh, which is, is that the capital city of Cambodia? It is indeed the capital, yes. Very cool. So you ended up there and now you are... I might be skipping over some things. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe you could fill in the gaps where I'm skipping over. So now you are running uh, Rucker Sales Consultancy. Did I get the name right? Let me, yes. Let me... Yes. RSC for short. So you're, okay. you're 100% correct. So yes, I'm running um, Rucker Sales Consulting out of Phnom Penh. And so um, it's really something that started in the midst of my travels. Um, funny enough, much like the blog, it originally started as something else. Um, I realized I wanted to be able to continue traveling and thus I should figure out a way to make an online income, which I had never really done before. And I was like, okay, well, you know, fresh college grad, what can you do? Um, I guess I could be a virtual assistant. And so I used my sales background to try and land virtual assistant um, clients and then mm-hmm. quickly realized all the things they wanted me to do was actually sales work. And then I talked them up the ladder. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Talking them up the ladder, being like some sort of upsell kind of, you know, to give you more responsibility because you're capable of doing more than just virtual very much so right and and um and sales it's probably one of the hardest things you do most people avoid staying in that spot first um most people like to start high and then work their way down the ladder um but yeah i've definitely mastered the art of starting too low on accident and scurrying back up the ladder and have been successful so it works people (laughs) awesome awesome so who who or what or where are the people that you either work for or work with? Are, are you doing work mostly with American-based companies or is it really a global enterprise? Well, up until this week, it was just working with US-based companies, um, but I should be signing in just a day or two here. Um, my first local client, which is with a very large organization um, that most of the listeners would probably be familiar with. I know I'm, I'm a tease. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, congratulations. And, and it, you know, when you sign them, you can let me know and, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let listeners know on a future podcast. I'll, I'll let them know that this Easter egg. Yes, been, this is the been... hook. Look out for the article <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kat. You're doing my job for me. I really appreciate that. Um, so now that you are a, a local Cambodian, but you obviously grew up in America. From a personal finance or from a money standpoint, what are maybe some of the bigger things that you notice, some of the bigger differences between Cambodian lifestyle, American lifestyle, between what is expensive over there versus what's cheap over there, those kind of things? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think the first thing that I want to clear up, because I think a lot of people don't know this, in Cambodia, they still actually, well, I mean, not still, but they actually use U.S. dollars. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and not a lot of people realize that. Um, they also have a local currency called the real. 
Um, so that's kind of been an interesting thing that I didn't expect when I first arrived. Um, but as far as cost of living goes, I suppose it's kind of hard to scale um, because I've only lived in ridiculously expensive places. Um, so let's just say for $750 of rent in Berkeley, I would live in a shoebox. Right. <laughs> for that much rent here, I have a rooftop pool and a gym. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. okay. Um, so it is, it's as far as, you know, for expats, it is very much an affordable place to be. Um, but it's also just such a, a unique country when it comes to even how the locals are. Um, they're just amazingly friendly people. Um, they also have their own entrepreneurial streak, which has been really inspirational to see, particularly, um, you know, no, no country's perfect, but a certain level of gender equality here as well. Um, so from a dollars and cents standpoint, there's, I think, so many unique things about Cambodia that it's, it's really hard to even compare um, to anywhere that I've been before. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it sounds like you are there's some sort of, I don't know if arbitrage is exactly the right word, but there's some sort of kind of arbitrage that you, that you are uh, taking advantage of by maybe earning American dollars with American clients and yet kind of living a, a, a higher standard of living than you would be able to if you were doing that out of the Bay Area. 100% geographic arbitrage, right. my favorite personal finance term to whip out at parties. <laughs> that is, I mean, I've seen it before. That is a really cool uh, personal finance term. I've never written about it. I've read some some articles about it, but um, right. So if my understanding is correct and, and please fill in my gaps, the idea is that you you earn money in one location and you live in a significantly cheaper location. That's exactly it. And, you know, I spent so much time reading personal finance and travel blogs, but I never really heard people talk about geographic arbitrage unless they were like the influencer type mm -hmm. um, or an engineer. And so when I was starting my journey, I thought, okay, I have no clue how I'm going to do this, right? There's nobody who really talks about it when it comes to having your own business that isn't related um, to something tech. You know, okay. and so that was an interesting, I guess, thought process to go through as I figured out how to start a business when I didn't really see other people doing anything close um, to what I was doing. And even now, people sometimes have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, so it's it's been an interesting career progression for sure. Yeah, that is very interesting. And and I hadn't thought about it either. That you bring up a good point when you are say an engineer, specifically maybe like a software engineer, it's pretty easy to write up some code from a beach in Vietnam and send it back to your manager in Palo Alto and no one's gonna have any complaints. But for jobs that maybe require more human-to-human -human interaction, more in-person interaction, kind of the further away you get from that techie style of job where you can exist in a silo, probably the harder it is to do geographic arbitrage. Yeah. And I think one of the first things that I came across was, you know, let's take, you know, the software engineer example. Um, that's an industry and, and a particular job field that I would assume in my understanding is, is, you know, they're more flexible when it comes to remote working locations, um, to having contracted employees and stuff of that nature. And so, 
I found that when I was creating my own business, it wasn't so much something where I would be most likely umbrellaed under a different organization because most people want their own salespeople in-house um, or to have, I guess, a bit more say in, over what they're doing because sales is something where you can't see tangible results, right? I can't hand over code and be like, here, I did something this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a unique issue, especially when um, a company doesn't usually have those kinds of contracts written up. So the first things that I had to do was figure out how to even create a contract and also what does my my business structure even look like? Right. Wow. That, I mean, right, there is a lot of complexity to kind of getting that ball rolling. I could completely see where you're coming from there. I'm curious, Kat, so now that you've kind of, you've got the geographic arbitrage thing under your belt, or at least you're, you know, you're, you're at the beginning of your maybe geographically arbitraged career. Do you see yourself in Cambodia long-term? Do you think you're going to stay remote from the U.S. and, and maybe bounce around? Yeah, you know, um, I've kind of settled in. My plan is to actually move back to the States, hopefully in the next year or so, um, global events permitting <laughs> as mm-hmm. it were. Um, I was actually supposed to go for a visit pretty recently here, but I think, you know, um, I suppose I'm just kind of going with the flow at this point. The nice thing about working for yourself is that I can work it from anywhere. And quite frankly, um, you would be shocked at how expensive the U.S. is compared to literally anywhere else in the globe. Um, in Cambodia, just for, for an idea, I can live off of 1200 a month comfortably going out, rooftop pools every weekend, high-rise you know, dining experiences. Um, and so it's just really something where even though I could go back home, then that would mean I have less money to save because my business is, is much younger. And so other than that, I could go to Europe, um, where you can live off of 2000 a month. Um, but if I was to go back to San Francisco, it would be <laughs> at least 5000 and it's not a cute apartment. <laughs> right, right. That is uh, an incredible difference that I completely believe. I mean, here in Rochester, New York, I think it's very reasonable to have a, a comfortable apartment, a comfortable lifestyle for probably somewhere in the, I'd say the 2500 to 3000 a month. Um, you know, you could probably bump that up to, to do all the nice things that you want to do to maybe 3,500 a month. Uh, and it's wild having some friends in the Bay Area, what they spend on rent for, like you said, a shoebox apartment. It is a different world out there. Yeah, very much so. Um, I would not go back <laughs> unless the pay was really nice. <laughs> right, right. Well, when you do come back, do you know where you're, you're going to settle when you come back? Um, so it depends because I'll probably be coming back engaged. Ooh, congrats. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we're talking about moving to Colorado. Okay. Um, but we'll see. Um, I actually met my boyfriend on my travels. So he's actually not a U.S. citizen. So um, that's a lot of legal fun, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, in my future. <laughs> I have a few friends and and family members who have had similar uh, relationships with non-U.S. citizens, and uh, and yeah, right, like you said, there there probably is some some legalese involved in order to get him permanent residency in the country. But uh, hey, it's all worth it for love, Kat. I understand. <laughs> it very much is. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, Kat. So if I put myself into one of your client's shoes, or maybe if I flip the script and I put myself into your shoes and you're looking for your perfect client, whether it's clients you work with today or, or clients you're looking for in the future, who does, uh, you know, who is that perfect client for RSC? That's a great question. So, you know, when I first started my business, the vision was, you know, when I work one-on-one with a company, I can help one company. But when I open my business up and work with multiple companies, I can help more than one company do good. Um, But then I realized the thing that probably should have been more obvious and brings me the most joy is helping others create their own business. Um, And that is a process that involves so many different moving components. But I think obviously the most important one is how do I get sales? (laughs) Mm -hmm. How do I get people who are interested in what I'm doing? How do I do market research? How do I do a LinkedIn campaign? How do I use, you know, email tools? And so what I'm looking to do, especially in the next couple of months here is actually open up Rucker Sales Consulting to individuals who are looking to learn more of these basic sales skills. Um, there's already a bit of information up on my website, self-promo time <laughs> at catrucker.com. Um, so if anyone's interested, that is there as well. Cool. Cool. So it sounds like some of your clients right now is more of a business to business, but you're looking to expand to work with more individuals. Cause I, I can certainly relate that working with individuals is usually a more, a more rewarding experience. Yeah, very much so. You know, it was actually not something that I had thought too much about until um, through the blog, I just started naturally documenting my own business journey. Um, It really became apparent. I actually had a few people reach out to me on Twitter um, and found myself having initial conversations. And then I was like, hey, this is a lot of fun. And it's usually a lot more straightforward problems. Um, Not that complex business problems aren't fun, um, but they do come with a certain level of stress, whereas really honing in on some of the basics um, really has a larger impact for an individual. And that's ultimately the most rewarding thing in a career is having the most impact for individuals as well. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that cat, what are your thoughts on transitioning over to some rapid fire questions? Yes, let's do it. Okay. And I always tell people it doesn't have to be rapid fire. It can be slow fire. It can be turtle fire. It can be, feel free to expand if you'd like. Um, I would start with what's the last material object or personal luxury that you spent a hundred dollars or more on? This is a great question. Um, the first thing that came to mind was a really fancy backpack because I realized that I'm not a purse person, but you can only carry so many black Jan sports from college around. Um, <laughs> but that was only 65 bucks and I'm quite the minimalist and it's really hard to hit that $100 price point in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like to splurge on a nice five-star hotel down in Siem Reap. Um, So I'd have to say that one hits the $100 mark right on the head. And that is probably my biggest personal luxury is a nice hotel stay. (laughs) Cool. That sounds very nice. Sounds very nice. And the backpack is a great answer too. I mean, as a, I enjoy the outdoors and hiking and uh, a good backpack goes a long way. Um, Let's see. Next question. What is your end of pandemic celebration going to look like? 
I think that the end of pandemic celebration for me is probably just going to be spending time um, with my friends and family. And so a big component of that is, as I mentioned kind of earlier, um, engagement and all Mm -hmm. of the things. And so um, we're doing a little bit non-traditional because my boyfriend is actually Pakistani. Um, so really the end of pandemic celebration would probably be us renting a, a nice big place in the Bay area to have all the friends and family come visit instead of doing a really ridiculously expensive wedding. <laughs> right. Right. Cool. I mean, that's a terrific celebration. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, what is your go-to for a simple and delicious meal bonus points? If you cook it yourself and probably extra bonus points, cat, if it is a Cambodian meal, but no pressure. Okay. It's not, I don't think it's specifically Cambodian, but it is a soup, which is very popular out here. And it is a ramen soup. Um, so college students listen up. This is not (laughs) your typical ramen. (laughs) Um, But it is a really simple recipe. And I think it costs me maybe six bucks to make about six meals. (laughs) Um, And so it's really simple, but all you need is as much ginger, garlic, and soy sauce as your heart desires and any of your favorite vegetables and chicken, toss it in a pot and cook for 40 minutes and you are good to go for three, four days. Cool. I love ramen and hey, some cheap, delicious meals that, that works for me. Uh, what is one good habit, cat, that you're trying to form or a bad habit that you're trying to break? You guys are going to laugh at me, but the one good habit that I'm trying to form is going back to the gym. Turns out I hate running and I hate sports. And without a coach um, expecting me to be somewhere to do some heavy weight lifting, I won't do it. Um, but I'm refinding my love for Olympic lifting, mainly because it looks super cool and no one expects a six foot tall girl to be doing it. Um, so that's, that's my, my key to getting me in the gym is surprising some people. (laughs) That's awesome. I have multiple good friends from college who in their kind of post-college decade have gotten really gotten into Olympic lifting. Um, kind of like, like, you know, right. Is it deadlift or clean and jerk or snatch, right? Those kind of lifts. Yep. Yep. All those things. And it's really, I did it for the first time when I was in college and I kid you not, it is the fastest physical change you will see in yourself. Um, I had bought a whole bunch of new clothes right before I did Olympic lifting for the first time. And I grew out of them in one month because my shoulders got broader and just everything changed. So if you're looking to like make a really wonderful, straightforward lifestyle change, learning how to Olympic lift is 100% the fastest way to get out of the gym. (laughs) Duly noted, duly noted for myself, selfishly. (laughs) Um, All right, Kat, last one. What message do you put on a billboard to share with the world? What would you say? You know, I was originally thinking when you mentioned that something like life is what you make of it, but then that felt a little like it belonged more on a pillow than a billboard. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I would go with my, my other favorite saying, which is really something that I don't think is as popular. And I have no clue if someone special said this, um, I don't know who the credit goes to, but it's the same water that hardened the egg soften the potato. So it's not about, you know, your circumstances, but what you're made of and what you do with it. 
still I like became that one. Pillow Talk. <laughs> <laughs> and considering I haven't had breakfast yet, I might go have eggs and potatoes. So very appropriate, Kat. Cat, <laughs> um, if any listeners want to reach you or want to do business with you, how, how can they find you? How can they reach you? I think the fastest way to find me is through catrucker.com. So of course I have all of the contact me pages in there um, as well as through my Twitter. Um, I'm currently using my cash for cat. That's cash with a four because I'm clever cat K A T. So cash for cat. Right. Okay. And that's cat rucker again, K A T cat rucker traditional (laughs) spelling.com. Okay. Cat. Thank you so much for coming on the Best Interest Podcast. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. This was my first podcast and this was such a joy. (laughs) Well, you did great. You did great. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. And uh, so long for now. Another big thank you to Kat. That was a great conversation, Kat. Really cool to hear your story about how you ended up working for yourself in Cambodia and thriving in the process. That is so cool. If you want to reach out to Kat, her Twitter and her websites are in the show notes. Listeners, I love answering your questions and I'd be happy to make my guests help out. So feel free to send your questions in. My email is jesse at bestinterest.blog or you can send questions to me directly on Twitter. My username is bestinterest underscore jc. Feel free to comment on the blog as well. That works too. Uh, If you go to the podcast page on the blog, I now have this handy little tool called SpeakPipe that allows you to record your questions and hear them live on air. So make sure to take advantage of that. And if you guys keep listening, I will keep producing. That is the symbiotic relationship we have. And you know the usual drill. The best interest is a business, and it does help my business when you listen, when you leave a rating, when you review the podcast, or when you subscribe. If you find this valuable and you want to give back, those are different ways you can do it, by leaving a review, by subscribing, or just by listening. It's all free to you, absolutely free. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest, and sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode number 12 of the Best Interest Podcast. 